Chapter Three of A Mysterious Disappearance by Louis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Three, The Lady's Maid. The first difficulty experienced by the barrister in his self-imposed task was the element of mystery purposely contributed by Lady Dyke herself. To a man of his quick perception sharpened and clarified by his legal training it was easy to arrive at the positive facts underlying the trivial incidents of his meeting with the missing lady at victoria station briefly stated his summary was this lady dyke intended to go to richmond at a later hour than that at which his unexpected presence had caused her to set out she had resolved upon a secret visit to some one who lived in raleigh mansions sloane square some person whom she knew so slightly as to be unacquainted with the exact address and as the result of this visit she desired subsequently to see her sister at richmond sir charles dyke was apparently in no way concerned with her movements nor had she thought fit to consult him beyond the mere politeness of announcing her probable absence from the home at the dinner hour to one of bruce's analytical powers the problem would be more simple were it in a popular sense more complex in these days it is a strange thing for a woman of assured position in society to be suddenly spirited out of the world without leaving a trace or sign he approached his inquiry with less certainty owing to lady dyke's own negative admissions than if she had been swallowed up by an earthquake and he were asked to determine her fate by inference and deduction it must be remembered that he was sure she was dead murdered and that her body had been lodged by human agents beneath an old drain-pipe at putney what possible motive could any one have in so foully killing a beautiful high-minded and charming woman whose whole life was known to her associates whom the breath of scandal had never touched the key of the mystery might be found at Raleigh Mansions, but Bruce decided that this branch of his quest could wait until other transient features were cleared up. He practically opened the campaign of investigation at Putney. Mild weather had permitted the workmen to conclude their operations the day before the barrister reached the spot where the body had been found. That is to say, some forty-eight hours after he had resolved neither to pause nor deviate in his search until the truth was laid bare a large house untenanted occupied the bank a house with solid front facing the road and a lawn running from the drawing-room windows to the river down the right side of the grounds the boundary was sharply marked by a narrow lane probably a disused ferry road and access to this thoroughfare was obtained from the lawn by a garden gate a newly marked seam in the roadway showed the line of the drainage work and bruce did not glance at the point where the pipe entered the thames as the structural features here were recent he went to the office of the contractor who had carried out the alterations an elderly foreman readily answered his questions yes sir i was in charge of the men who were on the job it was an easy business just an outlet for rain from the road an old-fashioned affair 
been there thirty or forty years i should think all the pipes were crumbling away why were the repairs effected at this moment oh well sir the house was empty quite a while you see it used to be a school a place where young gents were prepared for the army it was closed about a year ago and it isn't everybody as wants so many bedrooms i do hear as how the new tenant has sixteen children the incoming people have not yet arrived no sir can you tell me the name of the schoolmaster oh yes when i was younger i have done a lot of carpenter's work for him he was the reverend septimus child bruce made a note of the name and next sought the local police inspector no nothing fresh said the latter in reply to a query concerning the woman found drowned i suppose these things are soon lost sight of said bruce casually sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't it's wonderful occasionally how a matter gets cleared up after years of course we keep all the records of a case so that the affair can be looked into if anything turns up ah that brings me to the most important object of my visit a small piece of iron was found embedded in the woman's skull the inspector smiled as he admitted the fact may i see it i want either the loan of it for a brief period or an exact model again the policeman grinned i don't mind telling you that you are too late sir too late how too late it's been gone to scotland yard for the best part of a week so others besides the barrister thought that the putney incident required more attention than had been bestowed upon it bruce concluded his round by a visit to the surgeon who gave evidence at the inquest the doctor had no manner of doubt that the woman had been murdered before being placed in the water the state of the lungs being proved positive on that point it was equally indisputable that she was put to death by malice aforethought oh yes a small iron spike was absolutely wedged into the brain through the hardest part of the skull what was the nature of the injuries that caused death this piece of iron penetrated the occipital bone at the lowest part and injured the cerebellum damaging all the great nerve centres at the base of the brain would death ensue instantly yes such a blow would have the effect of a high voltage electric current complete paralysis of the nerve centres means death then i take it that great force must have been used not so much perhaps as the nature of the wound seems to imply but considerable sufficient at any rate to break the piece of iron it was broken you say was it cast iron yes of good quality of some ornament or design i should imagine but it snapped off inside the head at the moment of the occurrence curious is it not for a person to be killed in such a manner by such an instrument i have never before met such a case were it not for the way in which the body was jammed beneath a hidden drain-pipe and the effective means taken to destroy the identity i should have inclined to the belief that some strange accident had happened at any rate the murderer must have committed the crime on the spur of the moment and seized upon the first weapon to hand you say she was forcibly placed where found yes the workman's description left no other idea 
Could not the tide have done this? Hardly. One cannot be quite emphatic, as such odd things do happen. But it seems to be almost impossible for the tide at Putney to pack a body beneath a jutting drain-pipe in such a manner that the waist, or narrowest part, should be beneath the pipe and the body remain securely held. Yet it is not so marvellous at the coincidence that this particular drain should need repairs at the precise period when this tragedy happened. Quite so. It is exceedingly strange. Are you interested in the case? Have you reason to believe that this poor woman— I hardly know, broke in the barrister. I have no data to go upon, but I feel convinced that I shall ultimately establish her identity— you, doctor, can help me much by telling me your surmises in addition to the known facts. The medico looked thoughtfully through the window before he exclaimed, I am certain that the woman found in the Thames came from the upper walks of life. Notwithstanding the disfiguring effects of the water and the rough usage, any medical man can rapidly appreciate the case of his subject. Such was, I should say, a woman of wealth and refinement, one who led an orderly, well-regulated life, whose surroundings were normal and healthy. Bruce thanked his informant and hurried back to London. A telegram to Inspector White preceded him. He had not long reached his Victoria Street chambers when the detective was announced. He soon made known his wishes. "'I want you to give me that small piece of iron found in the head of the woman at Putney.' he said. If necessary, I will return it in twenty-four hours. Mr. White's face showed some little signs of annoyance. It is against the rules, he began, but Bruce curtly interrupted him. Very well, I will make direct application to the commissioner. I was going to say, Mr. Bruce, that although not strictly in accordance with orders, I will make an exception in your case and the detective slowly produced the piece to conviction from a large pocket-book. In sober fact, the police officer was somewhat jealous of the clever lawyer, who saw so quickly through complexities that puzzled his slower brain. He was in no wise anxious to help the barrister in his inquiries, though keenly wishful to benefit by his discoveries and follow out his theories when they were defined with sufficient clearness. Bruce did not at first take the proffered article. "'Let me understand, Mr. White,' he said. "'Do you object to my presence in this inquiry? Are you going to hinder me or help me? It will save much future misunderstanding if we have this point settled now.' The detective flushed at this direct inquiry. "'I will be candid with you, Mr. Bruce. It is true I have been vexed at times when you have overreached me, but I regret it immediately.' It is foolish of me to try and solve problems by your methods. Kindly forget my momentary disinclination to hand over the only genuine link in the case. In what case? In the case of Lady Dyke's disappearance. Ah, then you think it is in some way connected with the woman found at Putney? I am sure of it. The woman at Putney, whether Lady Dyke herself or not, I cannot tell, wore some of her ladyship's clothes. When we have ascertained the means and the manner of the death of the woman buried at Putney, we shall not be far from learning what has become of Lady Dyke. 
How have you identified the clothes? I managed to gain the confidence of the lady's maid, who gave evidence at the inquest. She, of course, is quite positive that the body was not that of her mistress, but when I had examined some of Lady Dyke's linen, I no longer doubted the fact. If you knew all this, how comes it that more did not transpire at the coroner's inquiry? In such affairs an inquest is rather a hindrance to the police. It is better to lull the guilty person or persons into the belief that the crime has passed into oblivion. They know as well as we do that Lady Dyke is buried at Putney. We have failed to establish her identity by the evidence of the husband and servants. The linen and clothes, our sole effective testimony, remain in our possession. So, taking everything into consideration, I prefer that matters should remain as they are for the present. Really, Mr. White, I congratulate you. You will perhaps pardon me for saying that some of your colleagues do not usually take so sensible a view. The policeman smiled at the compliment. I am learning your method, Mr. Bruce, he said. As he spoke, Smith entered with a note endorsed, Urgent. It was in the handwriting of Sir Charles Dyke, and even the imperturbable barrister could not resist an exclamation of amazement when he read, My dear Bruce, my wife's maid has vanished. She has not been near the house for three days. The thing came to my ears owing to gossip amongst the servants. There is something maddening about these occurrences. I really cannot stand any more. Do come to see me. There's a good fellow. Well, I'm jiggered, said the detective. The blessed girl must have been spirited away a few hours after I saw her. Maybe, Mr. Bruce, we are all wrong. Has she gone to join her mistress? Possibly in the next world. Nothing would shake the barrister's belief that Alice, Lady Dyke, was dead. End of chapter 3